All right, well, we're there in uh, Acts chapter number 5, and as you know, on Sunday nights, we've been doing uh, kind of word studies and studying out different words uh, from the Bible. Uh, last week, we studied the word contentment, and uh, the week before that, we talked about being uh, teachable, and we talked about unity, and tonight, I want to talk to you about the word genuine. We're studying these words because these are words that if we learn them and apply them in our lives, they can uh, change our lives, and I want to... Uh, talk to you and give you a few things to think about in regards to being genuine. Now, let me go ahead and just give you a definition of the word genuine. The word genuine means uh, possessing the, uh, the claim or attribute of, of character, quality, or origin of not being counterfeit, being authentic, being real, free from pretense or hypocrisy, sincere. When we're talking about being a genuine person, we're talking about being real, not fake, not uh, you know, trying to uh, act as of something that we are not. And tonight, for those of you that like to take notes, and I would encourage you to take notes when you come to church, take notes and have some notes to uh, look back at and, and refer back uh, later throughout the week. Uh, I want you to notice there in Acts chapter 5, we began with a really famous story uh, in the Bible about a man and his wife named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, if you look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says this, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession. So they had property, and they basically sold that property, verse 2, and kept back part of the price. So they sold it for a certain amount of money, and they kept back part of that money, his wife also being Private. Now, that word private means having knowledge of something private. So there was something private going on here, and his wife was aware of what they were doing, his wife also being private to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So I want you to understand what's going on. They sell a, a piece of property. They uh, bring a certain amount and lay it at the apostles' feet, basically present it to the church as an offering, but they hold back and they keep back a part of the, of the uh, money that they made off of the land. Look at verse 4. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Peter says to him, Ananias, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me, and I know that you sold the property for this much money. And you have kept back part of that. You came in here and said, hey, we sold this property. We want to donate it to the church. We want to give it to the church. Here's all, here's all the money. Here's all what we sold it for. And Peter says, I know you're lying. I know that you're not telling the truth. I know that you kept back part of it. Now, before you get you know, nervous, I'm not preaching about giving and offerings and all, all of that. Because here's the point. The point wasn't that they kept back part of the money. The point is that they were lying to Peter and lying to the church. Because notice what Peter says in verse number 4. Whilst it remained, he said, while it was yours, was it not thine own? He said, this was your property. This, this belonged to you. He said, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? He said, we didn't force you to give any of this. We didn't force you to, to, to bring this offering to us. He said, while the property remained, it was yours. He said, and even after you sold it, it was in your own power. He said, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart that thou hast not, li- uh, not lied unto man, but unto God? Look at verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And that ought to be a warning for some of you. You know, be careful before you fill out that nine chapters a day and you didn't actually finish it. You know, you say, well, I'm just going to let people tell people I finished it because I don't want to look like I quit halfway through. Hey, be careful. These people lied in church about something they hadn't done. And the Bible says that they fell dead. 
Look at verse 6. I'm not saying you're going to fall dead. But if you do, that would make this sermon real cool. Wouldn't it? Well, kind of? Well, maybe not. Look at verse 6. And the young men arose, uh, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after. So his wife shows up to church three hours late. I'm not sure why she's so late. But it says, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. So, Peter, so his wife shows up three hours later. And Peter says, hey, did you sell the land for this much money? And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Now, here's what you don't, I want you to understand. You say, because we're talking about being genuine. And here's, here's the application of the story is that Ananias and Sapphira were basically trying to show that they had done something that they actually hadn't. And when it comes to this idea of being genuine, for those of you who like to take notes, point number one is this. In, when it comes to being genuine, we ought to be genuine in the way that we portray ourselves. It's easy for us to kind of put up a show to put up a front. And here was, here's what Ananias and Sapphira were trying to do. They were trying to act as if they had made a sacrifice that they really hadn't. They were trying to act as if they had done something that they really hadn't. They were trying to look like they were spiritual and say, hey, we sold this possession and gave it completely. We gave everything to the church. And they really had kept back some of it for themselves. Now, here's the thing. They, it was their land. It was their money. They could have kept back all of it. I mean, they, they weren't forced to give any of it. But what was wrong is that they wanted people to think that they had given more than they really had, that they had sacrificed more than they had really done. They wanted to portray themselves as if they were spiritual when they really weren't. Ananias and Sapphira were not genuine. And look at verse number three, and here's what you got to understand. You may fool Peter, or you may fool me, or you may fool the you know other church people, but you're not fooling God. And Peter says in verse three, he says, "But Peter said, Ananias, why I say then fill thine heart? Notice to lie to the Holy Ghost." He says, "You're not lying to man; you're lying to God." Notice the last uh, phrase of verse number four. He says, "Thou hast not lied unto man, but unto God." Now, here's what you got to understand. Okay, the term for Ananias and Sapphira, the biblical term is this: they were men pleasers. Now, keep, keep your finger there in Acts, because we're going to come right back to it. But go with me to the book of Ephesians. If you go past Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians, go to Ephesians chapter number 6, and look at verse number 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and look at verse number 6. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about this phrase of being men-pleasers, being a pleaser of men, or a pleaser of, of, of man. Notice Ephesians 6, 6. The Bible says this, not with eye service. And I want you to notice that phrase. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. The Bible says, not with eye service as men pleasers. Now, you're there in the book of Ephesians. Go with, just go to the book of Colossians. You're past Philippians into Colossians. Let me show you this phrase again. And I want you to notice what keep the, the same idea that comes up in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 22. Colossians 3.22. You're there in Ephesians. Just flip a few pages over to, uh, through, through Philippians into Colossians. Colossians 3.22. Notice what the Bible says. Servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh. Notice the phrase, notice the consistency, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Here's what you got to understand. What makes you or what makes me 
what would make us a man pleaser. And here's what makes somebody a man pleaser. When they are more interested in the way they appear in other people's eyes than they are interested in what God thinks of them. See, Ananias and Sapphira were more worried and more concerned about impressing Peter and impressing the church and impressing the people. And they were doing eye service and saying, hey, look how spiritual we are. Look how much we gave. Look how much we sacrificed. But here's the thing. God knew they weren't. God knew they were lying. But they weren't interested in what God knew. They were only interested in what man thought. A man pleaser is someone who's only interested in eye service. Only interested in what other people think. The way I appear in front of others. Go with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians. You're there in Colossians. Very next book over is 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. The Apostle Paul actually gives us three characteristics of a man pleaser here in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. And I want to show them to you quickly. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Look at verse number 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. And verse number 4. Notice what the Bible says. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Now notice what he says. Not as man pleasers. Paul says, I wasn't a man pleaser. He said, I wasn't interested in pleasing man. He said, I was interested in pleasing God. He says, not as man pleasers, but God. Here's what he's saying. But as pleasing to God. He said, I wanted to please God. I wasn't trying to please man. And then he says this, which trieth our hearts. And see, here's what you got to understand. It's God that tries the heart. It's God that knows your heart. God knows why we do what we do. God knows if our hearts are really in the right place. We might be able to lie. We might be able to put up a front. We might be able to say, oh, well, this is who I am, and and, and have everybody look at us, and have everybody impressed with us. But God is the one that tries the heart. Notice what he says. Not as man pleasers, but God which tries our hearts. Look verse 5. For neither at any time used we. Here's, Here's the characteristics of a man pleaser. These are, the, these are the people you want to be careful of. For neither at any time used we, notice these two words, you got to underline them in your Bible, flattering words. Whenever you get around someone that's just constantly flattering you, be careful. They're trying to butter you up. And, and please understand, we're not talking about being encouraging here. The Bible talks a lot about encouraging others and exhorting others. We're not talking about coming alongside somebody and saying, hey, let me encourage you or let me help you out. But whenever you get around somebody, you can, t- you, know, you can feel it when it's just this cheap flattery, just, wow, you are so great. Wow, you are so amazing. Wow. And here's the sad part is it's sad when you can't see it. But when someone is just flattering you and just telling you, man, let me just tell you how great you are, and they're buttering you up, be careful because they probably only really care about the way you perceive them. And because people know this, if you flatter someone, you know, you eat that stuff up, you know, and then this guy becomes your best friend because every time I get around him, he's telling me how great I am. I mean, my boss tells me I'm lazy and my wife wants me to, you know, uh, get my act together. And, and, you know, my parents always tell me what my problems are. Every time I come to church, pastor's yelling at me about something. But this guy or this guy, they're always telling me how great I am. And all of a sudden, this person becomes my best friend. Be careful of those. We saw, we saw it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, in the book of Proverbs when it says the wounds of a friend are faithful. A friend that tells you what you don't want to hear, that's a faithful friend. But someone who's flattering you is probably buttering you up for something. Now, notice what it says, okay? Verse 5, for neither at any time used we, here's number one, first characteristic of a man pleaser, flattering words. Number two, as you know, nor, here's, here's characteristic number two, a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. 
He said, a man pleaser is someone who's covetous. Now, when I was studying for the sermon, you know, I, I looked at the different characteristics that the Bible tells us here, and this is the one I kind of struggled with. And I thought, what does coveting have to do with being a man pleaser? And I figured it out as I studied the book of Acts. So go, keep your finger there in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to come right back to it. But go back to Acts chapter, uh, to, to the book of Acts. But we read in Acts chapter 5, right? The beginning of Acts chapter 5, we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. But I want you to notice uh, Acts chapter number 4, right before Acts 5, the last two, two verses. Look at verse number 36. And it's interesting because th- what happens at the end of Acts chapter 4 is connected to the story in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, the Bible says this, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, the great missionary uh, friend of, of Paul? And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Okay, so the apostles renamed him Barnabas, meaning the son of consolation. What does the word consolation mean? It means to receive comfort by a person after a loss or disappointment. So why did they rename him Barnabas? Here's why. Notice what it says. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Notice what Barnabas does. Verse 37, having land sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Barnabas didn't die. Barnabas actually did this. He saw the need. Because remember, the, the, the people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, they were struggling. And he saw the need and he said, you know what? I've got some land over here. I can go ahead and sell that land. And I'm going to donate that money to the church so that it can help the people that are struggling, the people that need them some help. So Barnabas takes the land, sells the money, brings it to the apostles' feet. And here's what happened. The apostles were so impressed with Joseph, they said, we're going to rename you to Barnabas, the son of consolation. This was so nice, and this was so kind, and this was so great. And then Ananias and Sapphira looked at what Barnabas had done and coveted it. They said, I want people to look at me like I'm spiritual. I want people to look at me like I've done something great. I want them to rename me Barnabas, you know. I want, I want them to look at me and say, wow, they're so spiritual. Wow, they're so great. But here's the difference between Barnabas and Ananias. Here's the difference between Barnabas and Sapphira. Sapphira Ananias and Sapphira were not willing to make the actual sacrifice. They were not willing to actually do what it takes to be that spiritual person. They just wanted to be able to give some of the money and act and portray themselves and pretend as if they were spiritual and they were not genuine. And here's what they were doing. They were coveting other people's spirituality, saying, man, I want people to talk about me like that. I want people to think about me like that. I want people to, put, to, to admire me the way they admired Barnabas. And they were covetous people. Go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5, notice what he says. He says, for neither at any time used we. What's the first characteristic of a, of a man pleaser? Flattering words. As you know, nor was the second characteristic of a man pleaser. A cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor, here's characteristic number three, of men sought we glory. He said, you know what? Of men, we didn't seek glory. We didn't seek that people would look at us and admire us. He said, that's a characteristic of a man-pleaser. But he said, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He said, we did not seek glory from other 
people. Now, you may be asking, well, how do you know if someone's seeking glory? Let me give you, Jesus gave us a, a qualification to know how someone is seeking glory. Go to the book of John, John chapter number 7, and look at verse number 18. John chapter number 7 and verse number 18. Because he says, nor of men sought we glory. You say, well, how do I know if someone is seeking glory? Well, let's see how Jesus told us to know if someone is seeking glory. John chapter 7, look at verse 18. The Bible says this, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. Do you see that? He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory, the, his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness in him. Now, don't, don't, don't raise your hand or say any names or anything like that. But who's ever met that person that was always talking about themselves? I mean, everything's just about, you know, I did this, and look at that, and I've been working on this. And, like, the whole time you're talking to them, it's like, you're never going to get a word in. You're never going to be able to talk about anything. Forget politics. Forget the weather. Forget the things of God. All they ever talk about is themselves. Hey, that's a great characteristic. And, by the way, if that's you, realize that Jesus said, he that speaketh of himself speaketh his own glory. And if you're just constantly promoting yourself, if you're constantly saying, like, look how great I am, look at what I did, look at what I accomplished, you're probably a man-pleaser because the characteristics of a man-pleaser are this, someone who uses flattery, someone who is covetous of other people's accomplishments, someone who is seeking glory. And Jesus said this, that if you speak of yourself, you seek your own glory. Proverbs 27, 2, you don't have to turn there. Go, go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 6. But while you turn there, let me read for you out of Proverbs 27, 2. Proverbs 27, 2 says this, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger, and not thine own lips. Sometimes I'll meet an individual, and I'll think to myself, and I, I won't say it out loud, or I won't ask them, but I'll think to myself, I wonder if that person ever does anything spiritual for any other reason than to just boast and brag about it. Sometimes I have to ask myself, I, say, I, wonder, if, I wonder if these people ever do anything kind for their children if, if for no other reason than just to post it on Facebook or post it on some blog. Or tell somebody about it? I mean, I, sometimes I ask myself, you know, I wonder if this person ever does anything kind for their wife other than just, just for the reason to be able to go and tell somebody because they're always talking about themselves and to be able to say, like, look how great I am. Look at me. And here's what you got to understand when we're talking about being genuine. We ought to be genuine in the way we portray ourselves. Now, let me go ahead and, and, and say this. We're not talking about, you know, just putting all your drama out there for everybody to know, Okay. I understand that, obviously, we want to put our best foot forward. Don't you, don't you agree? I mean, you shouldn't live the type of life where, like, when you come, you know, you, we know when you're fighting with your wife because you can't hide that. You know, you can't, you know, you can't act like everything's okay. We know when something's going wrong because, like, your face, you know, always shows it. We're not talking about that. But we ought to be very careful that we're not trying to be misleading and make ourselves seem like we're more spiritual than we truly are. And try to make it seem like, hey, look at all this money I gave. Well, you gave all of it? Oh, yeah, all of it. Well, the Holy Ghost told me that. Oh, you're dead. No. Well, are, are you sure that's what you did? Because here's what they were doing. They were portraying themselves to be something they were not because they weren't willing to put in the sacrifice to do it. So let me ask you, are you genuine in the way you portray yourself? We ought to be genuine, sincere, truthful in the way we portray. Not put all our garbage out there and all our drama out there and say, well, you know, somebody walks up to you, let me tell you right now, okay? My marriage is falling apart. My kids hate me. Okay, well, that's not what we're talking about, you know. And we're not talking about telling people all your problems. But, hey, we ought to not be Ananias and Sapphira's who want to be men-pleasers, who want to have people think of us in a way that is higher than we really are. So, number one, 
when it comes to this idea of genuine. Genuine, we ought to be genuine in our portrayal of ourselves. Number two, we ought to be genuine in our motivation and ministry. Genuine in our motivation and ministry. And these two are, things are kind of connected, but go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 6. And look at verse number 1, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 1 says this, Take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of men. I want you to understand something. The problem is not that you do your alms before men. The problem is if you do it to be seen of men. And I'll be honest with you, one of the, one of the uh, concerns that I have in ministry is that much of pastoral ministry is public ministry. Much of what I do is seen before men. And sometimes, honestly, sometimes I wonder if when I get to heaven, there's going to be a lot less rewards for me than maybe someone like my wife who does a lot of work in the, in the, in the background, things that people don't see. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, it, what, what, how that whole thing's going to work out. But you got to understand, the problem is not with being seen or doing or accomplishing something before men. The key words are, Matthew 6, 1, take heed that you do not your arms before men. Here are the key words. To be seen of them. The problem is when you do something simply to be seen of men. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which doesn't happen. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do. Let me ask you a question. Do you have to sound a trumpet every time you do something nice? I mean, think about how ridiculous this idea is. An arm is when you give a, a, when you give a charity. Imagine if I'm walking out of, you know, Walmart or Target or CVS and there's some homeless person there and they ask me for money or they, you know, I don't, I, by the way, I don't give, we don't give homeless people money, okay? That just, that's a good thing, to, you know. But we, let's say, you know, we gave them a granola bar or something. You know, imagine if I were like, hey, here, wait one minute. I got a sandwich for you, but let me go grab my trumpet. Everybody, 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 look at me, look at me, okay? Here's the photo op, take a picture. I'm giving this homeless person something to eat. Now, you would say, well, that's ridiculous. But you know the modern equivalent of that is Facebook? You know the modern equivalent of that? And here's the question I have for you. Do you ever, do you always have to make sure everybody knows every time you do something spiritual? Every time you show up for soul winning, you got to let people know, I showed up for soul winning. I, you know, I, I, I read the Bible. You know, I, I was here, you know, when you weren't. I was, and here's the thing. Because Jesus said, hey, he said, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. As the hypocrite, what's a hypocrite? Someone who's insincere? Someone who's ingenuine? Hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have, notice the words, glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever do something spiritual that no one knows about? Look at verse 3. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand do. Here's what Jesus said. He said, when you're doing something spiritual, you ought to try to be so secretive about it. He said, you ought to try to be so non-boastful, non-bragful, non-broadcasting it out for the world. You ought to be so, he said, to the point where your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Maybe your right hand's not on Facebook. I don't know. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand do it. That thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. Take heed that you do not your alms before, before men. L- look at verse uh, 1 again. To be seen of them, I want you to notice this phrase, otherwise ye have no reward. Otherwise ye have no reward. Do you see that? Look at verse 2. Look at the last part of verse 2. They have their reward. 
You see verse 2? Look at verse 4. That thine arms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. See, here's what you understand. When we do things to be seen of men, God says, you just got your reward. Because everybody got to see what you did. And here's what you can understand, because as fundamental Baptists, we get all uptight about, you know, our methods must be right. And I'm all for methods being right. And we got to be right in our stands, and we got to be right in our dress. And I agree with that. I think I just preached the whole sermon on that, actually. And we got to be right in our music, and that sermon's coming. And we got to be right in the way we do things. And, we, and listen to me, you're right. We must be right in our methods. We must make sure that we're following the Bible. But do you know that God is as interested in your motives as he's interested in your methods? You know that God cares how we do things, but then he also cares why we do things? You know that it's not enough to be right in our methods? We must be right in our motives? Because then God says, if you're only doing it to be a man pleaser, you're only doing it to be seen of men. He said, you have your reward. He said, there's no reward for you. And look, I don't want to get to heaven one day and say, God, look at everything that I did. Look at everything that I accomplished. Look at all the hours that I spent. And God says, actually, you already got your reward. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. There is no reward for you. You got your reward on earth. See, we must be genuine in our portrayal of ourselves. But number two, we must be genuine in our motivation in ministry. And I got to ask you a question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Why do any of us do what you do? And look, from time to time, we all do things to be seen of men. But we must be careful. We must be careful to not develop an attitude that everything is done so that I can show somebody, so I can brag to someone, so that I can boast to someone. So number one, we saw that we must be genuine in our portrayal of ourselves. Number two, we saw that we must be genuine in our motivation in ministry. Number three, go to the book of Romans with me. Romans chapter number 12. Romans uh, chapter number 12. And look at verse number nine. Romans chapter number 12 and verse number nine. Romans chapter 12 and look at verse nine. Notice what the Bible says. Point number three is this. We ought to be genuine in our love for others. We ought to be genuine in our love for others. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Let your love be without dissimulation. Let your love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now, the word dissimulation means this. To disguise or conceal under a false appearance. To conceal one's true motives, thoughts, by some pretense. To speak or act hypocritically. Paul said that we ought to love one another. Jesus said that we are to love one another. Jesus said, a new, lo- a new commandment give I unto thee, that ye love uh, as I loved you. And we are to love one another, but Paul said this. He said, let love be without dissimulation. Here's what he's saying. Let love be without disguise. Let love be without a, uh, being concealed under a false appearance. Let love be uh, by true motives. Let love be without any pretense. Let love not be hypocritical. He said, he said make sure when you love, he said, he said, love in a way that is genuine. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. If you start at the end of the Bible, book of Revelation, and work, work your way backwards, you have Revelation, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st, 2nd, Peter. 1st Peter chapter 1, look at verse 22. 1st Peter 1, 22. 1st Peter 1, 22. And here's what you're going to understand. These are the hard things of, of the Christian life. It's easy to tell people how they should dress. It's easy to tell people, you know, what they should do and, and think. It's easy to conform. See, it's easy to get a haircut. Or to let your hair grow. That's easy. But when it comes to the matters of the heart, 
Those are the things that are difficult for us to deal with, and those are the things we must deal with if we expect to be rewarded in heaven by God. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. And by the way, that's why Jesus would tell the Pharisees, he said, he said, cleanse first that which is within. He said, work on that which is within. He said, he said and then clean the outside. We ought to have a good exterior. We ought to have a good outside, but let's work on our heart first. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 22. Notice what Peter says. He says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto, notice this word, unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. See, unfeigned love is not pure. Purity, sincere, all these words go together. And he says, if your love is feigned, what's the word feign mean? It means to pretend, a sham, counterfeit, or a disguise. He says, hey, our love ought to be unfeigned. We ought to love each other with sincerity out of pure heart and pure motive. So let's, let's make some applications. You know, you say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? What is, what is uh, love without dissimulation? Here's what love without dissimulation is. When you're kind to someone's face and you act as if you're their friend and then you talk bad about them behind their back. Is that love without dissimulation? No, that is love with dissimulation. Here's, here's what, uh, you know, when you criticize someone, when you gossip about them behind their back, your love is not sincere. You act as if you love them. You say, you're my friend. I, I like you. I care for you. You know, to their face. But then behind their back, you criticize them. Behind their back, you mock them. Behind your back, you badmouth them. Behind your back, you like, can you believe that they would do that? Can you believe that they would say that? Hey, that is insincere. That is not genuine. And God says we ought to be genuine in our love for one another. Here's another, here's another example. You say, well, I, I would never. I would never badmouth anyone, Pastor. Don't you know? Well, listen, Ananias, here's the problem, okay? What about those of us that like to listen to gossip? Those of us that like to listen to someone being spoken. You say, well, I would never say that, but I was, you, listen, you sure were listening when they were saying it. You know, and uh, Jack Hiles tells a story about he would, uh, that, that he, would, he, 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 he had to make a rule. But Jack Hiles would preach a lot. Uh, different places, and he had to make a rule where he would not eat with other preachers after the service. He just refused to go to restaurants and stuff. He said it'll always turn into this big gossip fest. And he says, he says, you know what? I'm just not going to hear any gossip. And he actually tells a story about one time where he's driving down the road with with a preacher. Preacher picked him up for 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 the church service. He's going down the road, and this guy's talking about uh, this guy and that guy. And let me tell you this and that. And he said, hey, listen, you know what? Just let me out right here, and I'll walk to the hotel. Let me know when the service is. I'll take a cab, but I can't hang out with you. And here's what he said, and I thought it was interesting. He said, because he said, if you'll talk bad about that guy to me, you'll talk bad about me to that guy. <laughs> and see, when we allow people to gossip and we allow people to put uh, bitter, and here's what happens. You develop bitterness in your heart toward another brother. You develop bitterness in your heart toward someone else. Your love is not without dissimulation. Sometimes, you know, in ministry, my wife and I have talked about, man, I don't, I don't know what's going on. It feels like so-and-so has just kind of been distant. Or it feels like so-and-so, there's, some, there's an issue there. Some, something, so, something happened, you know, they, they're not as warm or as friendly as they used to be. And I, I don't know what happened. You know, I always think, well, maybe I said something in the pulpit that offended them. I don't, I don't know. And oftentimes we'll find out later, oh, someone was gossiping about us. Maybe something that wasn't even true. And yet they heard it, and it caused them to have a rift within our relationship. But here's what you got to understand. That happens all the time. But that is not love that's genuine. That is not love without dissimulation. We ought to be genuine in the way that we care for each other. Let me give you another example. Go to James chapter number 3. You're there in uh, 1 Peter. Go backwards uh, into the book of James. James chapter 3. 
and look at verse number 17. James chapter number 3 and verse number 17. We're talking about being genuine, sincere in our love for others. Unfeigned love of the brethren. Let love be without dissimulation. Look at James chapter number 3. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits. I want you to make note of these words. You ought to underline these in your Bible. Without partiality. You see that? Without partiality. And you say, well, what does that mean? Notice the, the next phrase, and without hypocrisy. We ought to have a love full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. He says it again in James chapter 2. Look at verse number 4. James chapter 2. In James 2, he's actually talking about looking at the way that somebody's dressed and mistreating someone because they're dressed nicer than maybe someone who's not, you know, having uh, respect of persons in regards to, to, to you know, someone who's, who's rich, you know, and, 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 and looking at someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of money and looking down on them. And notice what he says about that. James chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Are ye not then partial in yourselves? And are become judges of evil thoughts. Listen, the way we deal with each other. The Bible says often throughout the New Testament, you can find this phrase, to not have respect of persons. And we ought never look at someone and say, I have more respect for this individual than this individual. That's called being partial. Everyone that comes to Verity Baptist Church, we ought to love equally. Everyone that comes to church, we ought to say, hey, I care. And I understand that we develop friendship. Maybe you're closer to someone than somebody else. We're not talking about that. But we ought not be partial in our thinking. We are not look at someone and say, I have more respect. I, 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 I put this person on this pedestal in my life, but this person, I don't like them. Now, notice what Paul said, because it's really interesting. Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And actually, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and look at verse number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 3. And I want you to notice what the apostle Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and look at verse number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 3. Paul says this. I'll give you a moment to get there. He says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. And by the way, that's all being carnal. That's not walking in the Spirit. When there's envying, that's the covetousness. When there's strife, that's fighting, divisions. Are ye not carnal? And walk as men. Now notice what he says. He says, Well, where did this come from? Notice what he says, verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. He, he, Paul is dealing with this issue at the Church of Corinth. And here's the problem with the Church of Corinth. They've divided into these cliques. And this group says, I'm for Paul. And this group says, I'm for Apollos. And this group says... I'm for Cephas. And this group said, you know, I'm for this and I'm for that. The ultra spiritual people said, I'm for Christ, you know, whatever. And, and, and they had divided themselves. And you say, well, is it wrong to be for Paul? Is it wrong to be for Apollos? And here's what you understand. There's nothing wrong with being for Paul. And there's nothing wrong with being for Apollos. There's nothing wrong with having people that you esteem. In fact, the Bible tells us that we ought to esteem those that labor among us and work and, and minister to us, that we ought to esteem them highly for the work that they do. But in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 6, Paul explains the issue. And I, I really like this verse. I think it sheds a lot of light to what he's talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn... Underline these, these words, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. 
He said, look, don't think of men more than, you, than, than, than what God wrote down of men. What did God write down of men? That we're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. In fact, the Bible tells us that we ought not think more highly of ourselves. And here he says, hey, hey, don't think, you know, that you might learn not to think of men above that which is written. Because here's the problem. That no one of you be puffed up. Notice, notice this phrase. That no one of you be puffed up for one against another. And see, here's the problem. You say, well, I, I like Pastor Jimenez, and I'm glad you like Pastor Jimenez. I'm just going to assume you all like me, all right? I don't, that might not be true. I don't know. But, you, but you look, you should never, sometimes I get around people, and I think to myself, it gets uncomfortable. You know what I mean? You talk to someone, and they get fixated on an individual. They, be, they become infatuated with an individual, and it almost crosses a line to where, like, are you worshiping this person? You know, I mean, we're here for Jesus Christ. That is the truth. We're here for the Word of God. And sometimes people become so fixated, so infatuated with one individual, which there's nothing wrong with having a hero. There's nothing wrong with having somebody you look up to and say, I like that person. I like their preaching. I like what they stand for. But there is something wrong when I like someone so much that now, because I like this guy, everyone else has to be bad. Look, ladies, have someone in the church. Have an older lady in the church that you look up to. Have an older lady in the church that you admire, that you say, I, I like her testimony, I think she's great. But don't put somebody so high in a pedestal that now every other woman in the church is terrible because they're not like so-and-so. Have a favorite preacher. And it doesn't have to be me. Have a preacher that you like and say, I like that guy. I like how he preaches. I learn a lot from him. But don't put an individual so high on a pedestal that all of a sudden everyone else is bad and everyone else is worthless. And I'm of Paul, so Paulus stinks. I'm of Apollos, so Paul stinks. And I'm with Peter, and I don't like Paul or Apollos. And you become partial in yourself. Say, we ought to be genuine in our love for each other. We ought to be sincere, not respecter of persons. Not respecters of men. We ought, to, we ought to love one another. When it comes to being genuine, the Bible is teaching us here that we ought to be genuine in the way we portray ourselves. Let me ask you, how do you portray yourself? Do you seek to make yourself, do you purpose to make yourself look more spiritual than you really are? Do you purpose to put on a show and say, well, let me, let me just tell you everything that I've done? What are your motives? Are you motivated in ministry to be seen of men, to be acknowledged of men, to be gloried in men? I, I'll be honest with you. I was having lunch with Brother Carlton. I was talking Brother Carlton. I, I, honestly, you know, when it comes to ministry, you know, and don't take this the wrong way, but I, I, I would be more comfortable. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I feel like I would be more comfortable just working for someone. I, I, don't, I don't really feel or believe that preaching is my uh, spiritual gifts. When you study those spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about, one of these days I'm going to do a series on the subject of spiritual gifts. When you study those spiritual gifts, if you want to be, know the honest truth, I believe my spiritual gift is a spiritual gift of administration. I actually do uh, well when it comes to just having systems and having uh, to-do lists and paperwork and having, you know, plans and, and things to do. Honestly, sometimes I feel like if I, if I could just, if I didn't have to write these three sermons a week, you know, we could get a lot done in, in, in this church. You know, if I just had the time to just focus on the administrative work of this church, I would be very happy just, you know, administering the church, leading the music. I love leading the music. I love singing, you know. Sometimes I feel like preaching just kind of gets in the way. And, and don't, you know, some of you are like, well, Pastor, you can put in your, let me put in my resume. Keep your resume. <laughs> we're not interested. And uh, you know, I, didn't say, I didn't say it was my gift, but this is what we're doing, all right? 
And you're like, well, I knew it wasn't your gift, Pastor. You're not very good. Well, well thanks. But, here, but, but here's the question. Why do you do what you do? Do you have genuine love for the brother? Do you have genuine love for one another? See, it's not a problem that we do ministry and it's seen of men. It's a problem when we do it to be seen of men. Go, go to one last place tonight. Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. And uh, look at verse number 11. I just want you to notice what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And don't get any bright ideas. You're not going to get rid of me anytime soon. I already told, told all the men, if you guys kick me out of the pastor right here, I'm just going to start a church next door. And I don't know if it'll go well, but it'll be fun. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse number 11. Notice what the last says. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Paul and Peter are having problems here. And you say, well, well where, where does this uh, problem come from? Look, look at verse number 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So Paul has basically been called to be the minister to the Gentiles. Peter is ministering to the Jews. And Peter, James, and John, or I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John. Uh, Peter and uh, John and James, yeah, good night. Cephas is what it says, had basically given Paul the stamp of approval and said, you're good to go. Just make sure you take care of the poor. He said, I don't have a problem with that. I'm forward to do that. But then he says in verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I would stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now, here's what I want you to say. Peter had said, yes, God called Paul to reach the Gentiles. In fact, Peter was the one that had the vision. Remember, he had the vision where God said, told him, don't call that common, you know, and don't look at the Gentiles and say that they are common or unclean. And Peter agreed with Paul, but here's the problem with Peter. And I love Peter, but he, he messes up sometimes. And here's the problem with Peter. When the Jews came from Judah with James, and now he was seen hanging out with the Gentiles, he said, I can't hang out with you guys because the Jews are here. Notice verse, verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. He didn't have a problem eating with Gentiles. He didn't have a problem fellowshipping with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their, and I want you to make note of this word, dissimulation. You see that? He was carried away with their dissimulation. See, Peter was being a hypocrite. Peter had a false facade. He said one thing and acted a different way. And here's why he did it. Because he cared what the Jews thought of him. And he didn't want to be seen hanging out with the Gentiles. And Paul said, I got to stand up and say something about this. Paul said, I got to stand up and confront this. Paul said, I got to stand up and tell Peter, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Hey, you need to stop doing that. And here's why he had to do it. Because when Peter brought in dissimulation, when Peter brought in hypocrisy, when Peter brought in a false love and face, 
Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. And here's what you understand. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And when you allow this ungenuine, ingenuine spirit to come up, when, when, when church becomes just a boasting fest, a bragging fest, where all we do is get together and try to show off, well, this is what I did this week. Oh, really? How much did you get? Well, I gave this much. Well, how many people did you get? Say, well, I got six people. Say, well, really? I got eight people. Say, when church becomes this thing where everything becomes a bragging, boastful thing, it spreads. And look, I don't want to be part of a church where all we do is brag and boast on ourselves. We don't want to become this spirit of, of, of dissimulation where all we do is put on a facade, where all we are is a bunch of cliques, where all we are is a bunch of groups that say, well, well, you know, I'm nice to them to their face, but, you know, I, don't, I have issues with these people. I, I don't like that person. It, it spreads. And Peter said, no, 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 you got to confront that thing. And by the way, you need to confront that thing in your life. And I need to confront that thing in my life. And we've got to ask ourselves these questions. Why do I do what I do? Why, why do I do it? Why do I serve? Why do I help? How do I portray myself? How is my love for the brethren? Because here's how we ought to live our Christian lives. Genuine. My goal for Verity Baptist Church is this. Here's my goal for Verity Baptist Church. That people from our community would come into this church. And they would say, you know what? That church has some issues. And starting with the pastor... And that, you know, they're not perfect down there, and they make mistakes, and they mess up, and sometimes they do this, and sometimes they do that, and not everything's right. But I'll tell you something about those people. They're real. They love God. They're sincere. Sometimes they mess up. Sometimes they make mistakes. But their heart is in the right place. That ought to be your goal. That ought to be my goal. So my question for you is this. Are you genuine? Are you genuine? We ought to strive to be genuine in our lives. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.